Welcome to I Need Some Air. Mask on! An Avatar fan cast from someone who's seen James Cameron's Avatar before. And someone who has also seen James Cameron's Avatar before. I'm Landon Ferguson. And I'm Michael Williams. Ah, yes, Michael, the ever-confusing title that is Avatar. Yep. Lest you think this has nothing to do with The Last Airbender, this movie has added so much confusion when I try to spark up a conversation with somebody about The Last Airbender. Like, have you ever seen Avatar The Last Airbender before? The movie with the blue people? No, what? No. Where did, there's no, where did you get Last Airbender from that movie? Well, you know, there's air in that movie, or at least, you know, a lack of it. I, I, I remember the air being a part of that film. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's bad enough we have to deal with the the live-action Last Airbender movie to add to the confusion, but now this one. Yeah, which could not use the name Avatar because Avatar had just came out, so that's exactly. why it's called The Last it Airbender. Was, yes, it was, it was in the same time during development and everything. Like, I, I think that Last Airbender at least had some sort of teaser trailer up before even Avatar had come out, but they were both in the works at the same time. Yeah, it, yeah, it was a whole thing back in the day, man. It felt like one of those things where two people had similar ideas and they just so happened to be very similar, but they were not connected at all. No, and this, this really isn't one of those similar idea things. It was just a coincidence in, in a terminology yeah, because Avatar was is a word, is a thing that existed long before either of these two IP. Mm-hmm. And how I've heard the word Avatar used, I think more of how it's used in James Cameron's Avatar rather than The Last Airbender. Really? See, I've always thought of it more as like it's used in The Last Airbender. It's it's a it's a deity, a god, like coming to Earth, and they have an avatar, which is the avatar born over and over again. I, I can definitely see that, but I guess I've always kind of thought of it in, like, video game terms. That's the other thing, yeah. Like, you're controlling an avatar. So, it's odd, because they're very similar, but they're ultimately two different interpretations of the word. However, I will say that both Avatar The Last Airbender and James Cameron's Avatar both feature a lot of spiritualism. They do. Av- the Last Airbender more so than the Blue People. <laughs> This, this, it's it's going to get confusing, Landon, I think. It, yes, and it, I think it's supposed to. <laughs> so I think I'm probably just going to say, like, either James Cameron's Avatar or the one with the blue people, and then I'll just say The Last Airbender, <laughs> because it, it's going to be difficult to keep this straight. Yeah. I, I understand what you're saying, though, because every time I say that, hey, I have a podcast where me and my cousin talk about Avatar, they're like, you mean the blue people? Yeah. I said, <laughs> how... Like, how how many episodes do you think we could stretch about the blue people? <laughs> that being said, you know, I've heard of a podcast about Batman v Superman, where every episode they looked at one minute of the film. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's a little over three hours, so, you know, that's, uh, I think, 180 episodes, roughly. Yeah. And I thought, that's a really fascinating idea for a podcast. That's dedication. And I, I never listened to it, but, like... You know, we could probably do that with Avatar. You could probably stretch something with Avatar if you just talked about the world of Pandora. Mm-hmm. But oh yeah. Before we get too far into it, though, it is important to note that we are recording this in December of 2022, and at the time of this recording, we have not seen Avatar: The Way of Water yet. 
but we are very excited. We are very excited about it. So Our tickets are bought. This is just about the original Avatar from 2009 and just our experience with the film. First off, I want to start with when this movie was in development and it was being talked about mildly. Back then, I didn't really keep my ear to the ground like I do today, but I remember hearing about this movie and I remember seeing, I think... At E3, some it was some convention, I think it was E3, James Cameron got on stage and talked about Avatar and the technology in the movie and the advancements that they had made and everything. And I didn't know at all what he was talking about at the time. I just remember thinking, wow, a movie called Avatar, that's going to confuse people because <laughs> I knew so much about the show. And I think I had known the movie was the live action movie was being developed. You know, so that was my first thought when I heard the name Avatar. I was like, oh, man, but I but there's already this thing called Avatar. And, you know, that was all I knew. And then when the movie came out, I only remember going to see it. I don't really remember the trailers at all. I don't remember excitement leading up to this movie i just it was supposed to be the only thing i knew was like this new 3d shot specifically in 3d this new camera that he made and everything and it was like i'm just going to see what this technology is like i don't even know or care much about this movie but i'll stop there and i mean that's just that's me getting into the seats leading up to this film i didn't have a clue what about you um, I really have no memory leading up to Avatar. I remember going to see it twice in theaters when it came out. But I I would have been nine years old probably when I saw it for the first time. Mm. And at that point in my life, I had, I had been going to movies a good bit, but I had only remembered going to movies for about four years. Actually, the first film I remember going to see is, you remember that theater where I grew up that only showed two movies oh, yeah. at, at once? Yeah. Me and my family went and... For some reason, I don't, I don't know if my family were being serious, but they asked me which movie I would like to go see. And I had a choice between two different films, and it was Batman Begins and Star Wars Episode Three. Wow. And I remember being like five years old and like, this is a really hard decision. <laughs> <laughs> because I love Batman and I love Star Wars, and I ultimately decided to go with Star Wars Episode Three. So that's the first movie that I can remember seeing cut for about four years to avatar like i just saw a lot of movies like in the late 2000s and i really enjoyed avatar and i will say that i saw it twice in theaters and then i never watched it again until they did the re-release a couple months back mm. in preparation for avatar 2 but how you view the first film with all the the visual effects that they're putting into it about 2014 2015 is when i really started to like look into hey, where are these Avatar sequels I'm hearing about? And I'm like, well, what's taken so long? And I'm reading about the fact that he wants to make four and he wants to write all of them at the same time, but the technology is not there yet, so he's waiting for technology to catch up or they're inventing new versions of motion capture performance in order to do it. And I got really excited just reading about all the stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, like, your excitement from him talking at E3 about the film it's how I feel about Avatar 2 because, you know, it's been 13 years yeah. and I'm like, you know, I, I can't think of the last time that 
a guy has done nothing but devote 13 years of his life to making a sequel to his film. I'm like, I, I can't really think of anyone else who's done that. It's just like, everyone like works on a film and then they'll work on something else. I've never heard of anyone like, oh, I made a successful film. I'm going to make four more like at once. Right, yeah. So like, I've been excited for Avatar 2 for a while, like more so than like anything else. Yeah. It's almost ridiculous. But yeah, that that's what I remember about the film, like roughly. I've grown to appreciate Avatar more as I've grown up, and I'm like looking at films that I'm watching now. It's like, what what, what do I what do I enjoy? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, to me, Avatar is a great action adventure film, and those are my favorite genres of films: just action adventure. Mm-hmm. And you can throw so many different genres on it. You could do sci-fi, you could do fantasy, you could just do spy thriller, some sort of thing. And I really liked avatar's approach to it it's like a very spiritual approach Mm -hmm. that's my overall thoughts from what i can remember about the movie from years ago so when i went to go see the movie for the first time i went with my brother he took me and we sat down and we watched this movie and it was like what two hours and 45 minutes roughly and when it was all over, I remember being wowed by the 3D. Like, it was just, it wasn't in your face, it wasn't gimmicky, it was just a part of the movie. And I really, really liked the 3D, and I really, really liked the world of Pandora that was created. But, I remember having the same thought that is one of the most popular criticisms of the movie today. And that is it's just Pocahontas or it's just Dances with Wolves or it's just Fern Gully, this this story that's been told many, many times. And I remember remember sitting in the theater and leaning over to my brother and saying that. It's just Pocahontas. But I wasn't upset about that. It was just an observation. Like Everybody seems to criticize it for that now. But I think that's actually one of the things that makes it work so well because here's the thing nobody else is talking about. Yeah, it's Pocahontas. It's Dances with Wolves. But guess what? It's never been told better than in Avatar. It's never looked better. It's never looked better, but the story itself, there's no better representation of that story than Avatar. And what I think a lot of people miss, too, is it it doesn't need to be the greatest story ever told to earn its box office that it is. What it is is the visual spectacle of seeing this planet of Pandora, all these creatures and wildlife and the glowing forest at night and these the culture war everything that's happening that that makes this world seem like it exists is just there for you to look at it and learn about it and s- something needs to be happening on screen for that to happen and for it to be a familiar simplistic and I, I use that word loosely but a familiar simplistic story for you to follow through while you learn about this world is brilliant. And it's such a good movie. So I saw it the first time with my brother, and then my future wife, my girlfriend at the time, I took her to go see it. So I went back a second time, and I took her. And I loved it even more the second time. She absolutely fell in love with it. And that was that. I didn't watch the movie again for like 12 years. Yeah. And that, that was the same thing for me. When I watched the re-release in 3D, I enjoyed the film a lot more because uh, I was more grown up. I could 
read more into what the film was trying to say, what the message was trying to say. Mm -hmm. And I could notice things that I didn't notice when I was nine because I was looking at the blue people and the cat ears and like the, the glowing fauna of Pandora. Yeah. But yeah, I I have also heard all these criticisms, and for a while I accepted them. It's like, oh, it's just Pocahontas. Oh, it's just Ferngolia. Oh, it's just Dances with Wolves. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. And then after a while I was like, is that your only criticism of the movie? It's like, do you have like a, a plot thing? It's like, if, if, if your only criticism of a movie is that it's not original, well, like, that's movies. Exactly. Lion King is just Hamlet. <laughs> West Side Story is just uh, Romeo and Juliet. Star Wars: A New Hope is a uh, it's it's more original, but it's that hero's journey that you learn about in English class, yeah. and it's all these influences from westerns and samurai films of the time, and uh, then you got Force Awakens, which is just a new hope but with more money. <laughs> right there you so, go. So like, <laughs> if if your criticism of a movie is that it's not original, well like nothing's really original anymore. Exactly. Top Gun Maverick is just the Death Star trench run. But you know, Top Gun Maverick looks great. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, I care about the characters. You know, I don't care that, like, we don't see the villain because I enjoy the film nonetheless. Exactly. I, I want to make one more point. It's taken me a while to, like, really just start to recognize this, but, man, haven't you just noticed that people just really enjoy to hate watch and just hate on, like, films or something oh, that they yeah. don't like? And they'll just critique. And I'm guilty about it, like, Landon. <laughs> I'm embarrassed <laughs> to say, but... For a long time, I watched Riverdale because I enjoyed how bad it was. <laughs> like, it was embarrassing, Landon. I, I only stopped because Netflix ran out of episodes. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm getting better at it because, like, I wasted so much time with Riverdale. I'm like, I only want to go for things I enjoy. And, you know, if I don't enjoy it, like, I'll stay away from it and I'll come back to it later. But I, I'm tired of people just like, it's like one criticism and they just blow it out of proportion yeah and and the only reason like avatar has earned with quotation marks this criticism is because it's the number one film in the world financially it is yeah. the highest grossing movie of all time at the box office and that's the reason that people pick on it it's like yeah. it, it, it just is the way things are i don't it's some sort of weird reverse psychology thing um I, I don't I don't really understand it, but it's it just happens and it's easy enough to ignore them because it's like it's a good film. It's made a lot of money, whatever, you know, you want to go be miserable, fine, but maybe touch grass once in a while. Yeah. That being said, after I watched the re-release in theaters, I came away with um, the thought that, you know, I really do think that this film deserves to be number one at the box office mm -hmm. because there really wasn't a film like that before. Now, even if you no. criticize the tropes, it, like it's similar to these films. Well, I can't think of any film. It's almost like uh, when Jaws or Star Wars came out. Like there really wasn't a film like that before. Yeah. And like there wasn't a blockbuster before Jaws and Star Wars. Well, I I can't really think of a film that was made to be viewed when this with the CGI and heavy 3D effects, and that was. For the most part, original. Like he created this whole world yeah. with a big budget that, like, most people would dream to get. Like, you have an original concept here. Here's two hundred and fifty million dollars to just work on that concept. Now he could only do that because he made Titanic, and that was the highest-grossing movie of all time for a yeah. while. That's another thing. 
you know, people will, like, knock on James Cameron because he spent the last 13 years with the blue cat people and all that. But, like, the dude, in the last 25 years, he made two films. And they were both very different. And for a long time, they were the number one and two at the box office yeah. of all time. Like, no one else really came close. The only one, the only one who got close was Star Wars Force Awakens. And then you had uh, Endgame and Infinity War. But that, like, think about what it took for Endgame to get there. Like, that was, what, 20, 22, 23 films? Yeah, yeah. Just to just to beat Avatar for, like, two months or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing, too. You just reminded me, talking about Titanic, everyone's got this criticism of, like, oh, yeah, it's just Fern Gully or whatever. Guess how he pitched Titanic? He said, Romeo and Juliet on that boat. That was the pitch. <laughs> Man, you know, that makes so much sense. I did not think about it before. Yeah. yeah. It's just Romeo and Juliet, but on the Titanic. Yeah. Which, you know, that's a brilliant pitch. I want to see that. Exactly. And that, I have seen it multiple times. That's how a lot of movies get made is they constantly are pitching and comparing to other things. You know, it's like, I, I want to make this, but with this. Or it's like, it's like this and this combined. That That's how everything gets pitched, whether it's yeah. to executives or to your best buddy. You should go watch this movie. It's like this and this had a baby. That that's how everything is, and there's there is no original idea anymore. Yeah. Now I will say, this film has the perfect balance of like there is enough newness there. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say it's like you know I'm gonna give it like ten percent. I was like you know this is not all that original, but like everything else about that film. The fact that they created a language, they created a world, mm-hmm. uh, they created. A language so that they could sing in the score in the Navi language. Like, look, you should really uh, look up a video of James Horner. I think he's passed away now, but he did the theme for Titanic or the score for Titanic. And he did the score for Avatar. And it's really fascinating to learn about everything he did to basically invent a musical style for a world that does not exist. Yeah, it's crazy. I didn't learn until, I don't know, five years later that there was like a clinical depression in people because they realized that they couldn't go to Pandora for real. Did you ever hear about this? My dad just emailed me about that earlier today. Did you? Is that when you found out about it? Yeah. I was like, I never heard about it. But I was like, man, that makes sense. Yeah, it was like five years later, and I was like, I had heard somebody mention it off the cuff. It was like, yeah, there was all those people that got depressed because they found out Pandora wasn't real. And then they couldn't go there. And I was like, they found out it wasn't. Yeah, no, for real. This happened. It was like, like people got depressed because they wanted to go to Pandora and they couldn't. Well, uh, now you can. Now you can, Len. If you go to Magic Kingdom, you can go to Pandora all you want. That's that's an insane. Think about the level of world building there, Michael. You've made something. You've thought about every detail about this planet. That it seems so real, people want to go there and are sad that they can't. That's crazy. Talking about not watching this movie for 12 years was not something I did on purpose. It was like one of those movies, it was so good, it was so special that I didn't want to like ruin it with just repeat viewings for no reason, you know, catching it on TV or commercials. And this, I didn't want to ruin this movie, so I just stayed away from it. And I remember. It was, what, six months, a year later or something when it originally came out, they re-released it in theaters for Earth Day. 
and I didn't I didn't go see it, but they did release the Earth Day Collector's Edition Blu-ray that came with the three different versions of the film. There was the theatrical original, the theatrical re-release, and then the extended director's cut. And I bought that, and I'm like, if I'm going to watch this again, I'm going to watch the, the extended full director's cut. And I just never put the movie in. I just hmm. didn't watch it. And it wasn't until last year, around November, we were all planning a trip to Disney, and we were going to the new Pandora world you just mentioned for the first time. And so me and my wife sat down. We're like, all right, we're gonna, we haven't seen Avatar in years. We're going to put it on while we pack our suitcase. Michael, I started the movie, and I never put a piece of clothing in the suitcase. I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. I was mesmerized. The movie just grabbed me, and we didn't do a single bit of packing until the movie was over. And I was like, yeah. this movie's really good. You mentioned it earlier. There was a word you used that I think perfectly describes this movie. And in my opinion, is exactly why I want to go to the movies. Like I think about this word when I just saw uh, Top Gun Maverick, which I saw in the theaters three times. Mm. And now I have a Blu-ray copy that I watched again. <laughs> uh, thank you to your wife, Melanie, for giving me that for Christmas, an early Christmas gift. But it's the word is spectacle. Like, that's what I love about going to see a movie. Like, don't get me wrong. Every now and then I like going to see like a small, independent, intimate film. But it goes back to, I enjoy the action-adventure films. Like, you know, my dad's favorite films are James Bond. Like, he has seen, I think, every James Bond movie in theater since, I think, the late 60s, early 70s. Because he was born in 62. And it's the same thing. Like, I love going to see a film where it's like, I'm immersed in whatever world is presented in front of me. And I think Avatar does a great job at just fully immersing you in the world that he created, that he just came up with. By the way, do you want to know how James Cameron, uh, where this idea came from uh, for Avatar? Yeah, I think I heard, but go yeah. ahead and tell me. He apparently had a dream, and it's the same thing with Terminator, because he directed Terminator 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. Like, he had a, like a fever dream about an exoskeleton on fire, and that's where Terminator came from. Oh. Well, he had another dream about, like, this nine-foot-tall, blue, like, kind of cat-ish looking lady when he was about 19 years old. And it, and it was in a forest, and it was exactly like Pandora. It was like very bright and very colorful. And as soon as he had the dream, he drew what he dreamed. And so whenever – he mentioned this in an interview when he said that whenever anyone tried to give him grief about, like, whether or not he came up with that idea, he showed them the drawings he saved from when he was 19 years oh, old. It's wow. like, I've had this idea for years. Oh, yeah, I think he, he wanted to do this film before Titanic, but the technology was not there. So, in my opinion, like, I do not doubt James Cameron because the only film he's directed that I don't think was that good was his first one. And that was Piranha 2, The Spawning, <laughs> a sequel to Piranha, which was a parody of Jaws. But, you know, think about this. He directed Aliens. You know, he didn't direct the first Alien film, but mm -hmm. he directed the sequel. And people really enjoy that sequel. I haven't seen it personally, but I need to work on that. And then he directed Terminator 1 and 2, and people really enjoyed Terminator 2. Yeah. So in my mind, I'm really excited for Avatar 2 because, I mean, the only bad sequel he directed was Piranha 2 The Spawning, and that was his first film. So yeah. I can't hold it against him. And probably also not a passion project for him. <laughs> probably not. You know, it, you know, it's like, I, I got to work on something. Yeah, exactly. By the way, uh, just so you know, uh, the piranhas in that film, they fly. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know why. It's just I wanted to add that because it was really ridiculous when I saw it. <laughs> it sounds fun, at least. They sprout wings and they fly, Lynn. There's flying fish in Avatar 2. Man, it would be so <laughs> funny if he brought back the flying piranhas <laughs> from Piranha 2, the spawning. That's like a deep dive for any fan he's, of his. He's going to have plenty of opportunity for like little fish Easter eggs like that in this movie. Watch one of them be voiced by Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, then I, we just, a couple months ago, I also went to the re-release of Avatar, and it was the first time in 13 years I'd seen the movie in 3D again, and it's it worked even better. And I'm, I know they did some technical tweaks on the re-release to make it a little more uh, refined and polished and updated, some of the effects and things like that, um, but it was still just really good. And I just, I can't get over how natural the 3D in the movie is. After a while, you forget it's there in a way that, like, immerses you, you know, it, you, you you don't ever feel uncomfortable with the 3D. No. And I don't recall ever seeing any other movies in 3D. I saw a couple after the trend took off again. I went to see... There was one of the Resident Evil movies was in 3D. It wasn't that good 3D at all. Most, most movies weren't. But I remember going to see the Phantom Menace re-release in 3D. And that is when I really began to understand one of the fundamental problems with 3D and the 3D conversion that was happening mm -hmm. all over the place. And one of the one of the reasons it didn't work, this was also around the time that the Nintendo 3DS was available as a product, and that was glasses-free 3D. And I'm, like, sitting in the theater watching this blurry 3D on these other movies thinking, like, my DS has better 3D than this. Like, this is not... Something here is not working. And what it was, was the the focus blur that's in a regular film. And and that's like when you when you have a character in the foreground, and someone's in the background, and the, the camera's focused on the foreground character, the background is blurred out. Unless the camera purposefully shifts to the background, then the front character would get blurred out. That actually contradicts 3D, because if you think about your vision in the real world and 3D objects, everything in the world is in focus. It's just a matter of what your eyes are looking at. Your peripheral vision will blur out what you're not focused on. And for when a film is focus blurring its own stuff, then there's no point in it being in 3D, right? Yeah. In a 3D film, everything should be in focus. And if you want to look at this tree over here, then your eyes will naturally blur the rest. Or if you want to look to the other side at, say, a character, then the tree will go blurry. When you convert things in 3D and stuff's already focus blurred, it just doesn't work. And that was when I realized that there was no point in going to 3D conversion. And yeah. I just didn't go to any more after, after I had that realization. I just stopped going. And then eventually it started to die off. Yeah, well, we'll see if... Uh... If he brings it back again. Yeah, I don't know. Mm, we, I know his 3D is going to be amazing. It's going to be the best ever. Oh, yeah. I don't know if the trend is going to take off again. I feel like that lesson's been learned. But I also, I'm not 100% confident in saying that. Well, we'll see. I know um, he he's talked about uh, what happened with the whole 3D thing. Mm -hmm. Because he talked about early on when he was doing it, he showed the technology to other directors at the time. To show them, like, hey, here's 
how you can do 3D and how, how you can do it very well. And if I remember correctly, I want to say that Ridley Scott and Martin Scorsese uh, took it, and then I think they did, Ridley Scott did Prometheus, and I think that it was in 3D. I didn't go see it. And Martin Scorsese did Hugo, and I think what they did was they designed it to be viewed in 3D from the get-go, mm. which is what James Cameron did with Avatar. Right. And he talked about how a lot of people afterwards, after he did it, just converted 2D into 3D. Right. Which did not produce the same effects. Yeah, and unfortunately there was mixed messaging in that. It seemed like the only movie made in 3D was Avatar, and that everything else was just digital conversion. And that digital conversion is what people didn't like, and they stopped going. It created another stigma over 3D. Like, it already, it's bad enough it had the stigma of the gimmick, like the whoa, like coming out at the screen gimmick. That was the stigma that it had before, and now the stigma of it's just 2D conversion and it's not good. Because of that, I missed out on films like The Life of Pi. I wish I had gone to see in 3D. That was another one that I believe was structured to be in 3D. Maybe not from the get-go, but it was supposedly one of the better 3D movies. And I didn't go because of the stigma, and I still regret it. Um, I saw the film, don't get me wrong, I love that movie, but like, I wish I had gone in 3D. So yeah, I think it just we needed a clearer marketing on on what was what back in the day. Yeah, well, I'll be seeing Avatar two in three D IMAX. Yeah, I I am not going to IMAX for my first viewing, but I think I'm gonna make a point to go to an IMAX at some point during its run. Real quick, I want to talk about like, uh, are there any moments from the original Avatar that you want to highlight? Anything that that you just want to talk about from the original film the scene where jake Sully learns to fly sticks out in my mind yeah learns yeah. to fly on his ikron or banshee mm -hmm. uh, whichever they call him and then the scene where he brings the navi together like that whole sequence the speech I really and everything yeah mm -hmm. like the score like everything about the film is just really good yeah some of my favorite moments are very dialogue focused. A lot of the scenes with Quaritch are really, really good to me, and they always stand out. He's just so tough and rumble and ready for action, looking for a fight. Like um, I heard the actor Stephen Lang described him as as right angles recently, and I'm kind of like, like he he moves in right angles. And after hearing that, I, I was watching him, and I was like. Wow, you're, he's really right. He's always, like, stiff-elbowed and, like, firm yep. shoulders and everything. He, he is, he, he's got that military posture. Exactly, exactly. And it just he's got some of the best lines in the movie. The original oh, speech yeah. for all the you're troops not in Kansas coming. Anymore. Yeah, you're not in Kansas anymore. And if there's a hell, you might want to go there for some R&R &R after a trip on Pandora. And I was like... What, this is great, you know? The, yeah. some of, and then he's got some of the best scenes when he's just like... When he's shooting at people and he, they're trying to steal the ship at the end of the movie, you know, to get back out to the the wilderness, and he just like opens the door without a mask and starts firing on them and everything, and all the yeah. guys in the room are running around grabbing masks and alarms yeah. are going off and everything. He's just out there holding his breath, shooting a gun. Yeah, he just grabs a gun from someone and says, "Mask on," and then he kicks open the door, and yeah. everyone's like, "Oh my god, mask on, mask on!" <laughs> and then somebody br brings him out a mask, and he's like. He's still holding his breath and just gives the guy a, a nod, you know, like, thanks, you know, and puts the mask on. 
calm as he can be, you know, it's just, it's so good. The, the scene at the end of the movie was climbing into the giant mech and he's on fire. He stays on fire the entire time he's climbing in the mech. He buckles his seatbelt. Then he looks over to his shoulder and puts it out calmly. It's just, it's, it's just interesting. Yeah. This film has a really good cast. It like, really all the does. Way around. Sigourney Weaver's character and all her dialogue, she's playing this Jane Goodall type character that is just in love with the indigenous people and the nature around her and studying this planet. And she had this school teaching them English. And like, that's just great world building to have a history already in place when your movie starts. Man, it's just all the stuff with Natiri. I, I love Natiri's broken English in a lot of this film because it's still leans into the native uh, side. They're constantly switching back and forth between the indigenous language and the, the English that she's picked up. And it's, man, there's just so many good things in this movie about every character so fleshed out. Yeah. I always enjoyed Michelle Rodriguez's character. I can't remember her name at the moment, mm -hmm. but the helicopter pilot? Yeah. I always, she always has some really good lines. Yeah, having that person in the military on the inside that that yeah. that sides with them. I love when she when they're firing on Home Tree and she's like, "I didn't sign up for this," and she leaves. Yeah. It's like there's some hope in the humanity, you know. There's like there's hope for them. Yeah, and I like when she breaks him out. She puts that gun to the guy's back of head and like, "Yeah, you know what that is. Get down, get down." Can you believe these traitors get steak? What they get steak? Let me see that. <laughs> yeah, you know what that is. Put that down. <laughs> <laughs> here's something i noticed too when we went to go see the re-release when i sat down a year ago and i watched the blu-ray version of my film the uh the extended edition i was paying attention so well to that movie i caught everything and then michael no one's talking about this i go see the the re-release in theaters just a couple months ago and at the end of the movie, when all of the humans are leaving the planet and Jake's finishing up the narration of the film just before he gets permanently added to his avatar body, he's talking about how all the humans went back to their dying world and only a select few were allowed to stay. The guy who was in charge of getting the unobtainium, mm -hmm. he looks, he stops and he looks up at Jake and he says, this isn't over. And then yeah. Jake kind of waves his gun forward, like, keep moving, and they walk away. And I was like, wait a minute. That was added for this re-release. Yeah, I I noticed that in the re-release, but I could not remember if that was in the original because I do remember yes. the scene of the humans walking away and a, a select few humans staying, but I could not remember. And I know I've watched on Disney+, Plus. there are scenes that are missing from the re-release. Like, uh, there's a, uh, let's just say, uh, the... Shahelu scene between Natiri and Jake in the forest mm -hmm. is missing from Disney Plus. Yes, and that was one of the things that was added to the theatrical re-release, I believe. Now, yeah. I, I don't know if I have this on disc or not, where he says that line, this isn't over, because there's three different versions of the film, and I have not sat down to go through all three versions of that film, because it would take me yeah. ten hours. But, that was added to the re-release, and I understand why. They're teasing a sequel coming up, and it's like, it's genius, but it's like, I had no idea that that scene existed until now. And I, I knew for a fact, I was like, that was not in the movie that I had just watched. So yeah, it, it's crazy that there's like, for all I know, there's four or five different versions of this movie. Now it's hard to keep up with. Yeah. 
I'll have to check out that extended cut because I've heard some of this about some of the scenes uh, that are deleted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there's. I think I've heard that there was an opening where uh, Jake is on Earth. In yes, the beginning. That, that I've seen. I think that was in okay. the the version that I watched before Disney last year. Yeah, and he ended up cutting that because, by the way, this film has a really good bookend. Like, it opens with Jake dreaming and the, his eyes open. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the film, it ends with his eyes opening again, but in a new circumstance. Right. So I understand why he cut that opening of him on Earth, because it's a really good bookend. Yeah. It's like, it starts one way and it, and it ends in the same way, but with a different meaning. This is a, this is a good film. Yeah. <laughs> I, I reject anyone who says that this is bad because it has similar tropes to other films. Like, come at me with, like, a real critique. Like, if, if you have a real critique of the movie, I'm interested to hear it. But it's like, it's just this other movie but blue people. It's like, okay, anything else? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's not, it's just not valid. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to let other people's, like, nitpickiness ruin my enjoyment of the film at this point. Right. Nor should you. Because I don't know anyone who's, like, not going to see Avatar. Yeah, no. Everyone I've talked to is at least thinking about going to go see it. Yeah. Like, I, I, ha- I haven't met anyone who's like, I hated that first movie so much, I am not going to see the second one. I have, ne- I have not met a single person like that. Yeah. Most people, like, I, they either care or they don't. But like, I haven't met anyone who hated the film. The last thing that I'm wondering now is that it's it's been 13 years since the original film. I think it was maybe I don't know a year, two years later that they started talking about there's going to be an Avatar two, and this time we're going underwater, right? That's been the the sequel news has been underwater for the last 10 or 12 years. Yeah. So I'm wondering in all that time before we ever got any our first screenshot of the film, what did you think Avatar two was gonna be? Did you did you give it any thought? Um, because I did. I remember him mentioning like, and this was early on, like probably 2014, 2015, which you know I think is when the sequel was first originally going to come out mm. or planned. But I remember hearing rumblings of like the um, the sequels were going to be on different parts of Pandora, which I I love that by the way. Like he created a whole world. And it sounds like in each of the sequels, they're going to go to different parts of the world. Yeah. So we get to see more. But I figured out that it was probably going to be some underwater stuff because I really started to hear about the main reason the movie was taking so long is that he wanted to do underwater motion capture performance. And that had never really been done before, so they needed to come up with that technology. I remember when they first announced it, it's like, yeah, Avatar 2 is going to go underwater. Little did I know I'd have to wait 13 years to find out what that meant. But I remember thinking, like, so are they going to avatar into underwater creatures? I really started to think, like, the Na'vi were going to get in the machines and avatar their brains into an underwater indigenous species. You know what I mean? Like, I thought they were going to inception this thing. That's what I thought (laughs) Avatar 2 was going to be. Because it's like, it's called Avatar. The whole thing is that you're driving an Avatar. And so I was like, what, you know, what does that look like? Clearly they went in a much more complex and more interesting route. But it's like, that was all I had to go off of at the time. And I, I, you know, like I said, here we are 13 years later. And I finally get to see what they actually are going to do with it. That's another thing, Landon. Avatar 2 
and three were filmed back to back from September of 2017 to September of 2020. And I think the first year and a half they did motion capture performance and then they did live action performance. Yep. And that's the interesting thing. They have the third one filmed and I think they have the first act of four filmed at the really? moment. Really? I didn't know about yeah. four. Like that's how much they got they decided to do. And he has said that uh if Avatar two and three don't make money, he will end it at Avatar three. Like yeah. if, if for some reason Avatar two just like bombs at the box office, he will rework Avatar three into an ending for the series. Yeah. But if they make money and he said by the third weekend, they'll probably have a good idea if it's going to be successful or not. But if they, if it is, they'll do four and they'll do five. And he's mentioned like the possibility of a six and a seven. Really? But he hasn't, yeah. I don't. I don't think he's committed to that yet. Yeah. But, yeah. Smart. But I've I've just been excited because it's like I mentioned earlier. I I can't think of the last time that someone made a film and then committed to the fact I'm going to make sequels to this film. But each sequel is going to be its own movie, so it's not going to be like a cliffhanger leading into the other. And I'm going to make sure I study why did why did this film make two point seven two point eight billion dollars at the box office? What about this film made it that successful? And how can I tr- keep that going in the sequel? Yeah. So like, I I have faith in this film. Like, and. <laughs> If it ends up being bad, like, I'm going to give him a 1% benefit of the doubt. Or I, I'm giving him, okay, 99% that it's going to be successful, and I'm giving him 1%. <laughs> I have zero doubt this movie is going to be incredible. Zero right. doubt. This It just, I, I can tell from the trailer that this movie is going to be something to see. Yeah. Oh, actually, you know what? I'm switching to 100% because I just remembered there was a scene in the trailer that, it was a small thing, but it just got me so excited for the movie. It's a scene in the trailer for Avatar 2 where Natiri is hunting while she's pregnant. Yeah. And it's, some, it's something it's like that simple where it's like, I have never seen that in a movie before. And I want to see that. The shot in the trailer, too, mirrors when she was going to take her first shot at Jake from the first film. The yeah. camera angle's the same, and the way she's, like, holding her bow and, like, straightens her posture is pretty much the same shot, too, which is kind of really, really cool. I'm so excited, man. Yeah. It's going to be Especially when man. they showed that clip at the end of the re-release. Let's, we got to talk about that for a second. Okay, so okay, all right. they showed three different clips if you went to go see the movie. You only got to see one of them, but they had three different ones in rotation. Me and Michael saw the one with one of Jake and Natiri's sons... Uh, swimming with a whale and getting an anchor out of his fin, like pulling the anchor out. Mm-hmm. This visual, the technology in the visuals here is insane. I can't wait for some behind the scenes to see what engines are running this stuff because I, oh, yeah. in, in, in the recent, in the last like two years, I've learned a lot more about lighting, ambient lighting, bouncing, ray tracing, stuff with water like the way water effects work and i used to think like oh yeah we've been simulating water for the last 20 years that's the easy part right no they're still figuring out how to get water right they can run simulations of like flowing water and they can add a bunch of particle effects to make it look white and foamy and stuff but like to actually simulate water was not perfected until most likely now with avatar 2 the way the way water clings to things when it's like 
when you when some, a cloth or skin gets wet and the surface tension, the way light bounces and refracts through the water, all of that has to be simulated. And Michael, it doesn't look simulated. In the the yeah. scene that we saw was so realistic just from the lighting and the water that when I go see this full movie, I think I'm going to forget that it's computer-generated. Oh, yeah. And that's another thing, is that computer-generated effects have kind of been... They kind of got their start in the 90s, I think. Or at mm -hmm. least that's when they really started to get used heavily. Yeah, that's when everybody was playing with it. Yeah. And I think in the 2000s is when it really started to look... You know, it, this stuff kind of looks good. You know, like, uh, like Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. And what you had was a lot of people... Uh, like utilizing practical effects and visual effects mm -hmm. or um, CGI, and, but in a way that looked really good. Now, I think in the last uh, about 10 years or so, visual effects, uh, they're kind of been hit or miss with me. Like people are just going really heavy in visual effects. Like, yeah, like fix it in post mm -hmm. or like stuff like that. And I'm, I've kind of been hit or miss with visual effects. Like when, it kind of gets down to who's in charge, like who's directing the film. It's like when James Cameron made Avatar to be viewed in 3D, like from the get-go, and you get someone like uh, Christopher Nolan who utilized practical effects first, but he knows when to use CGI. It's like that's when, he, and he knows when to do it. Something I want to point out is that, uh, like a lot of the Marvel films, or at least just superhero superhero films, or, or just heavy CGI films in general they tend to use multiple visual effects houses mm -hmm. or production companies to work on their films. Like, hey, you get uh, the first act of Endgame and you get the second act. Like, people just work on pieces and maybe it's a more economic way to do it. I'm not sure. But one thing I want to point out is that only one visual effects company worked on Avatar. And it's, I think, James Cameron's one that is in New Zealand at the moment. I want to say... The name is Weta. It's Weta Workshop, yeah. Or yeah, Weta Workshop. Weta Effects or whatever, yeah. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see, because I can't remember the last time, I'm really excited to see, like, okay, well, what does one visual effect company working for years on a film, like, what does that look like? Yeah. Rather than just, like, kind of, like, patchworking it and making it, it look as best as possible. Yeah, I think we're about to see the peak of the technology because one of the things that's that happened was, like, when VFX were new, everything was a little bit rough, and then you'd, you'd eventually find some gold standard, like, you know, oh, yeah, this is the best we've ever seen. And then it would it'd go forward, and there was a while, I think, in, like, the 2000s, 2010s in there that we got, I think, some of the gold standard things. Some of the best CGI was coming out. Now, from 2010 to 20, and it, it's been hit and miss. And I think one of the reasons is because the pipeline is so clocked up. Yeah. Everything has to just be, you just got to get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done. The movie's got to come out. And you get stuff that looks pretty good for the most part. It's fine. But it's also, you, you'll get like this one shot in a movie and it's like, you know, oh yeah, it was all great, but there was that one scene, man, it just didn't work. And it's because they just didn't have the time. There's not going to yeah. be anything like that in Avatar. The whole movie is going to be finished effects everything you know i don't mind waiting for a film mm -hmm. you know i i'm excited for aquaman 2 and it's been i think gonna be five years after the original wow but you know i 
I can get excited for a film if I know that you you guys are taking your time mm-hmm. to make sure it gets right. So that that's at the end of the day, that's why I'm excited for Avatar Two is because I feel like I am going to be rewarded for my patience. Yeah, and I would be surely disappointed if I'm not. <laughs> Probably my favorite thing I've heard about this film in the last couple months was something that James Cameron said himself, and if if. Like if you ever read his interviews or watch him, like he's a cocky man, but you know he's kind of earned it. And I think I, I've told you about this, but my favorite thing is like someone asked him. They said, "Hey, you know this movie is three hours and ten minutes long. Uh, when do you think people sh- like what scene do you recommend people get up and use the bathroom? Like at what part in the movie?" And he just went, uh, "Any part you want, because I know you're gonna come and see it again." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, he's absolutely right. Yeah. Like I'm probably gonna go see this multiple times." Yeah. Scratch that. I, I will go see this multiple times. Because it's also Landon. Think about like what happened with Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Like it it happened to be a really good movie that came out at a time where people just wanted to go and see a good movie. And that film made a billion and a half dollars. And and it and it it came out thirty six years after the first Top Gun. So like, you know, maybe Avatar two. Maybe it won't beat Avatar One. But, you know, I I feel like it's on track to make a, a good bit of money because I feel like it's going to be a really good film that people will just go and see. And it's got it's got a sense of spectacle and maybe yeah. the story, maybe it's a simple story again. But, you know, it looks fantastic. So people want to go and see it again. It's like you you mentioned that guy who went and saw it and like I missed the plot point because I was looking at the fish. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, like, I feel like that might happen to me. I'm going to be looking at a whale, and I'm like, who knows? Maybe Jake Sully's going to die, and I'm just going to miss it. It's like, man, that whale looks awesome. (laughs) Jake Sully's not going to die. I think he signed off for all the films. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It's just going to be so good. I can't wait. I'm probably going to go see it, and then I'm going to come home, and I'm just going to watch the first Avatar again because I'm going to be going through withdrawals from not being able to visit Pandora myself. I don't know. We'll have to see. (laughs) Man, I, I'm gonna have to watch myself. Yeah, I know, now right? that I know about this depression <laughs> that apparently plagued a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. You know, maybe we should do an episode where we we come in and we talk through our Avatar depression after we've seen <laughs> The Way of Water. Yeah, it was a good film. It's a really good movie. I recommend everyone watch it. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. If what? All right, first of all, what are you doing here if you haven't seen it? But also, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. You won't regret it. People listening are like, I do not remember this episode of The Last Airbender. What are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. No, I'm saying, like, if you've made it this far into the podcast, what are you doing here? And, ooh, wait. So, Michael, when you go to Animal Kingdom, pull up Disney Plus on your phone and watch the entirety of Avatar 1 while you're waiting in line to get on the ride. Man, we should have done that last time. That wait was so long. It was so long. By the way... Uh, James Cameron has already talked to Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, about updating the ride with Way of Water. Oh, no doubt, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, they're actually already, when we went on it, there was a part where we, like, fly over the uh, coast, like, the coastal area, and there's a whale that jumps out of the water, and I was like, that's, I don't remember seeing anything like that in Avatar 1. And I feel like they were already, like, kind of teasing there's this other environment that you're going to want to look forward to kind of thing in it. But yeah, I have no doubt we're going to, it's going to plunge you underwater in the future 
of the, of the ride. So yeah, I will say another thing for James Cameron that he uh, was successful at. He made people want to go to the Animal Kingdom. <laughs> Wait, is this a is this a knock at Animal Kingdom? No, no, it's just like. <laughs> For most people, like whenever we talk, whenever we plan to Disney trips, like Animal Kingdom, for, to me, I I enjoy Animal Kingdom, but like people will place it on like, yeah, you know, it's my least favorite park mm. because you know there's not a lot there. Yeah, people and, just know, think I about understand. the animals. Like I've seen them once, I don't need to go see the animals yeah. again. But there's a lot more there than people realize. All right, any last thoughts on the original Avatar before we go? I feel like more than anything else, that first Avatar to me, is, like, a defining moment, at least in the early, uh, in the last 20 years of films. Like, I think that film's going to be remembered for a while. Mm-hmm. Because, there, like I said, there was really no other film like it before, and arguably there wasn't any film like it since then. Like, we'll see what happens with Avatar 2, but I'm just, like, looking at films, okay, like, because I'm interested in films, I'm looking at, okay, what's, what's a film, like, since 2000 that could be considered, like, now... Not like the greatest film of all time, but like a moment in film history that's worth looking into. Like, you know, like when the jazz singer came out, it was the first talkie. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Or you had a Wizard of Oz, and it had that switch from black and white to color. Or you had Snow White came come out, and it was the first, uh, either I, I think first animated film in color. No, or uh, the no, first, first film. No, it was the first full animated feature. Yeah, there had been animated shorts before. No one had ever made a oh, full yeah. movie in animation before. Yeah, and it was in color. Yeah, that well, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's moments like those where I, I look at Avatar and I think, you know, people are probably going to look at this film in 20 years. And maybe I'm wrong, but, like, that's how I view it because this film just came out of nowhere and then became the highest grossing movie of all time. No no pre-existing IP, it completely original, just literally came from the mind of James Cameron. Yeah. You know, this, the, the, film, the main character in the film is a dreamwalker. And this film came from James Cameron's dreams. Yeah. That, that's it. Like, I I don't think there's really ever going to be a film like this. And and that's my honest, like, final thought on the film is that I think it deserves to be number one because I really just don't think mm-hmm. there's there was any film like that before. And I don't think there really will be since then. And I'm like, man, Avatar kind of set a high bar. Like, you know, this here's something you can reach for. And I was like, man, what would it look how much higher can we reach? And I know we can reach her. I'm, I'm, I'm just excited to see what that looks like. Yeah. So my final thoughts on the original Avatar is I think it's it's carried by its world building. Yeah. And I think that is – that's awesome for the movie. That's actually – that's what it needed. That's what pushed it as far as it got. The story's nothing new, but it's a good classic story. It works this movie is all about its world building and avatar 2 is going to build more we're going to learn all about the oceans this new culture that lives by and in the oceans Mm -hmm. there's going to be a story to it we've already been introduced to the world once before and that carried it last time that was fine if the world building is all that carries it this time then i don't know what makes people excited to go see three yeah Right. If this story is good in the world that we all love, then everyone's going to go see number three. Right. Because at a certain point, you run the risk of Pandora getting stale. The technology is not going to be the selling point like it was for the original, the 3D and now this new 
look to the lighting and, and everything if your eye is trained to catch that stuff. That's technology, the underwater motion capture. That's technology pushing this film. And so I hope the story pushes us to go see three. That's that's my thoughts on the original film and bringing us into number two. So that's it. At the time of this recording, me and Michael see Avatar 2 this weekend. So we really wanted to just get this out, yeah. uh, get our thoughts on the original film before we were clouded by the second one. And yeah, that's going to do it for this special episode of I Need Some Air. Mask on! If you've enjoyed this discussion or any of our past discussions on our previous topic of The Last Airbender, then you can email us at avatarfancast at gmail.com. It now means more than one thing, apparently. We'd love to hear from you, your thoughts on The Last Airbender or, you know, this movie. So thank you so much for listening. And stay tuned for more from I Need Some Air. Bending. Down. Trudy. All the way down.